Shall we pray? Our Father, we would ask that you would give us an understanding into your word and then a response of conviction and faith and obedience. Show each of us how we can greater respond to your word as we meditate on it tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I trust you have the outline there of where we'll be meditating as we've been in a rich chapter in the Westminster Confession on God's worship. Tonight we'll be looking in the scriptures at Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and Hebrews 4, and would invite you to look at each of those passages as we come to them. It's a dense chapter on the worship of God, and he alone has the right to tell us how he is to be worshipped. The scriptures prescribe the different elements of, a, of public worship. Section 7 also tells us that God has given us a day where he is to be worshipped. The Sabbath day is what we'll be looking at tonight. Section 7, as it is the law of nature, that in general a, proportion, a proper proportion of time ought to be set aside for the worship of God. So God in his word, by a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, <clears throat> the appointed Sabbath was the last day of the week. Beginning with the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's Day, a day to be continued until the end of the age as the Christian Sabbath. It wasn't too long ago that keeping a weekly Sabbath was even part of, not only kept by all Christian denominations, but because of the revivals of the 18th and 19th centuries, was embraced by the general population in the United States as well. It was part of our culture right until the last century. Large cities such as Philadelphia and Toronto were known for the care in which the Sabbath was observed. Uh, right to the end of the previous century, the ra some railroads didn't run on Sundays, and we know here in Jersey of ocean resorts that banned all car traffic and the blue laws in Bergen County. Much has changed in a few decades. Today, very few keep the Sabbath. In the countries post-Christian uh, Europe and America, less than 4% of the population attends worship on any given Sunday. But the statistic, I think, that's more concerning is less than a third of professing Christians, only 30% attend worship services weekly or almost weekly, less than third. So before our general culture and society would ever again return to honor a Sabbath day, the first, the greater need is the professing Church of Christ to be awakened to the teaching of God's word. So tonight let's consider that the Bible teaches us that God has appointed the Sabbath day, and secondly, that God has changed the Sabbath day. And let's look behind both of them to look at the reasons why God has done this. First of all, the Bible teaches us that God has appointed the Sabbath day, one in seven. And let's ask, when was the Sabbath instituted? Why was the Sabbath instituted? And how was the Sabbath instituted? When was the Sabbath instituted? And you trust you have Genesis 2 open before you. Let me read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the reference that we'll read later in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. What's the reason for keeping the Sabbath day and the law of God? Well, it's because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God instituted the Sabbath day in the Garden of Eden before sin, along with the other creation ordinances, work and marriage and Sabbath. All three are for all people and all cultures and all time. None have been removed in the New Testament. A. A. Hodge writes, The Sabbath by God's institution is therefore a universal and perpetual moral obligation upon the whole race. It is binding upon all men for all time under all historical conditions because God instituted it. And so for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only made in the image of God, but now being restored in that image Through faith in Christ and his work alone, we hold to the ideals and to the creation mandates as God's blueprint for life. This is the way he designed for his creation to work and to find joy. When was the Sabbath instituted in the Garden of Eden? The second question is, why was the Sabbath instituted? And for many reasons, but Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man. Why? Well, it's so that Adam and Eve and we would learn two things, at least these two things. One is that the, we are to learn that the Lord is our strength and our life and not our work. The weekly time to set aside our work and to center down upon God to renew and to rest in our relationship with God as primary to find in him our life and our source and our center. And then from that, we work. The Sabbath was given to us so that we learn that it's not by your hard work that's securing your jobs. It's not by your hard work that's keeping your finances together. It's not your hard work that's causing the success in your life. It's not keeping your life together. We're not ultimately in charge. We're the creature. And the Sabbath was given to us. Adam spends the Sabbath day resting in his creator and finding joy in him. And out of that, then, he works. The Sabbath was given to us to remind us we are the creatures. We're dependent upon God, our creator, for our very life and breath. Find in him your meaning. Find in him your center. Find in him your life, not your work. And so when God was giving manna to Israel... And the instructions came with the gathering of manna. Don't think that you're going to gather manna on the Sabbath. It won't be there. God will provide your daily bread twice on the day before. As you gather the manna, it's a a lesson to learn. God is going to provide for your daily bread. Your relationship with him has to be center. His worship, his priority. That's the reason you take this day aside from your work. So that you rest from your work. You set it aside so that your relationship with God is primary. 
Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. It's not by your strength that you're holding your life together or building your house or guarding the city. It must be the Lord. As Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. That's the Sabbath principle. The Sabbath has this function, center down upon God, find your joy in him, bring, you, bring your worship to him. He is your center. And, and then out of that, of enjoying God as your life and as your strength, you will have strength for life and work and labor. Sabbath was given to Adam and Eve, and how much more to us, to learn that the Lord is your strength. The second reason the Sabbath was given to Adam and Eve and to us is we're to learn that the Lord is our identity, not your work. He's our life. Your work, your labor does not ultimately, one, sustain you. That's the first part. Now the second part is your work doesn't ultimately define you. It's not your identity. It's not your meaning. You're to lay aside the work of the six days and find your center in the Lord, your meaning, your identity and relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen for the answer when you ask someone a question. Tell me about yourself. Maybe it's when you meet somebody for the first time. How how would you describe yourself? Who are you? Tell me about yourself. Listen for the answer. You ask the question, who are you? And listen for the answer. Most people, I think, will give an answer of what they do. Oh, I work for such and such a company. I'm a stay-home mom. I'm a teacher. I didn't ask you what you do. I asked you who you are. They're confusing role and person. And we very quickly fall into that error. If the answer is, tell me about yourself, and the answer is role, you're in trouble because role is not your person. What happens when you lose the job? What happens when you retire? What happens when the children grow up and leave home and that's been your role? If that's also been your identity, you're in trouble. When you've mixed identity with what you do, in the words of Robert Leahy, quote, it's like having your entire investment in one stock, and that stock is your job. You're going to be extremely anxious about losing that job and depressed if you do. Because work is never meant to be your identity. We are to use our work, the gifts that God has given, to provide for our families and to the church and to find pleasure in in God's gift of work, Ecclesiastes 3. But what you do, your work of the six days, is your role. And it's never to become who you are. It's not your identity. And that's one of the benefits and the beauties of the Sabbath. Set aside your work. That's not who you are. Who you are is your relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your friendship with God in worship. That's your identity. In your person, by faith alone, that will never change. 
It's a vital relationship of worship and love for God first. That's going to sustain your life. That's going to sustain your work. That's going to give you meaning and identity and center for who you are. That's the Sabbath principle. That's why God gave us the Sabbath. That's why he commanded us not to work. It's not arbitrary. He's not just making up a rule. It's to teach us that all of your hard work is really not what's keeping your life together. It's really not providing your identity and your center. And so when somebody chooses to work on the Lord's Day just feeling driven, I've got to work harder to meet my bills, (laughs) pay my bills, you see the irony, they've completely missed it. When was the Sabbath instituted in the Garden of Eden? Why was it instituted so that Adam and Eve and we would learn that the Lord is our life, the Lord is our strength, the Lord is our center, the Lord is our identity, not work. So how was the Sabbath instituted? In two ways, both by God's example and by God's command. In Genesis, Garden of Eden, God instituted it by his example. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work of creating. God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we follow that example. Turn to Exodus 20, where it was not only God's example that's instituted the Sabbath, but God's command. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What God's people had already known from creation onwards is explicitly stated in the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Here, God's command that's given at Mount Sinai to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is the commandment for all people. This is not a Jewish mosaic ceremonial law. It precedes the law at Mount Sinai going back to the Garden of Eden and now being incorporated into the very center of God's moral law. This is a law for all people just as much as the other commandments is do not commit adultery or do not steal or to honor your authorities, the commandments for all people. And the commandment that God has given us in the Sabbath is two parts. One is to remember. And that's not the idea, don't forget. Oh, don't forget, today is Sunday. No, it's, it's an active command. It's active memorializing. The, the idea is re, re, keep this day. Hold memorial service. The first part of the commandment. The second part of the commandment is keep it holy. It's off limits. Just as in the Garden of Eden and here, the Sabbath is primarily given to us with the commandment, remember there's a boundary. God has declared this day as holy. Holy in the scriptures primarily means set apart, off limits or even transcended, it's much higher than us, but it's different. In the same way, there was a boundary established in the Garden of Eden around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, wasn't there? God had said to Adam and Eve, you can freely eat from all the trees in the garden, but not this one. There's a boundary around this one. 
I'm, in a sense, God is making that holy. He's, he's separating it from all the rest. And the parallels to the Sabbath are striking. God is saying you have six days. Fill it full. But I'm putting a, a boundary around the seventh and declaring that mine. And so, too, just as the boundary around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to test Adam and Eve, will you find in me, your Lord, all your knowledge, all your truth? Will you trust me? Or are you going to go your own way? So to the Sabbath, are you going to find in me your center and your life and your relationship and your identity? Or are you going to go off on your own? Parents teach children from the very beginning to respect the property of others. It doesn't belong to you. You must be careful with that. That's what the Lord says in Isaiah 58, 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord. Do you believe God has the right to make it holy? It is an issue of rights. God has said, this is holy. I have set my boundaries around it. And God calls us to submit to his rights over the day. It's off limits to our desires. We don't have the right to use it as we wish. It is not our day. You remember as a new believer and the Lord Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in Christ for salvation, and the joy of being forgiven and restored to God through the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. It was wonderful news. It was good news. And it wasn't much longer you heard from the scriptures, and, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And you, we, we heard teaching from the very beginning all those who trust in Christ for salvation, you're required in gratitude to live your life that you're not your own. God has full rights over our lives, and so we willingly submit to his truth and his, his will for us. We, we embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, that's what the Sabbath is. It's, it's a changing of our attitude the Sabbath is, is different. It's not just part of the weekend. It's not just an hour on Sunday morning. It's, but most of all, you can't speak of the Sabbath as my day. It isn't my day to get caught up on things. It's not my only day to enjoy rest. It's, it's not even our family day. It's, you have to change an attitude. You have to change a language. Perhaps it's the Lord's day. And we have no rights over this day. He declared it holy as his possession. And that's the critical issue as we come to the Sabbath day, that it's part of God's moral law. You'll never persuade somebody to keep the Sabbath on practical reasons. Oh, they're there. Oh, there's wonderful benefit for keeping the Sabbath. But you're not going to persuade somebody to keep the Sabbath out of expedience and you'll benefit more and... Somebody told me once, oh, you keep the Sabbath well because you're more conservative and you're more traditional. No. 
It's an issue of right and wrong. It's an issue of God's law. And he has the right to set that law. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not cultural. It's not Presbyterian. God has appointed a Sabbath day. And secondly, let's look at the scriptures that God has changed the Sabbath day. The change is not in the Old Testament. They had a Sabbath and the change is the New Testament. You don't have a Sabbath. That's not the change. But you notice the change, as it said in the confession, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed Sabbath was the last day of the week. Beginning with the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, a day to be continued until the end of the age as the Christian Sabbath. God changed the day from the last day to the first day. The Old Testament Sabbath day was the seventh Every seventh day in proportion, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you do all your labor. The seventh is the, is the Sabbath. And the pattern came from the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? It was God had created for six days. And at the end of the week of creating, he established this day of rest, the Sabbath day. The New Testament has changed. It's still every seventh day in proportion. That's not the change. But the change is, it's now called a first day instead of the last day. The new covenant, we still keep every seventh day in sequence, but now we call it a first day because our day of Sabbath comes at the beginning of the new creation. God's gospel rest has broken into this age. It's huge. It's a seismic change. The Old Testament Sabbath was the end of creation. The new Sabbath in the New Testament is the beginning of the new creation. See that? And it's just a change of language from last to first. Why was it moved to the first day of the week? Well, there's at least four reasons. One is primarily reasons the resurrection of Christ changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week. He rose on the first day of the week, and he appeared to his disciples on that day, at least five different occasions, John 20 and 19 and 24 through 28. And after a week's interval, he appeared again to the gathered disciples and taught them on the first day as they were gathered together. Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, established the first day for his church to keep in worship as Sabbath, as the marking of his resurrection. The second reason why it's been moved to the first day of the week is because the Holy Spirit was poured out on his church on the first day of the week. It was a Pentecost falling that year on the first day of the week to the disciples who were gathered in worship. Jesus Christ poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church, Acts 2, 1 through 4. The the New Testament, the New Covenant Church, began on the first day of the week. And therefore, throughout the New Testament and continuing through church history, the church has worshipped on the first day of the week. The third reason is because the apostles saw this and were taught this by the Holy Spirit. All of the apostles changed the Sabbath from the last day to the first day of the week. They all met on the first day of the week for Christian worship. Acts 20, verse 6, Paul gathered the church in Troas on the first day of the week for worship. But he'd already been in Troas for many days already. He chose the first day, not out of necessity, but intentionally 
to gather the church for worship. And that's been the only instruction for all of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 16, 1, the, the Corinthian church, is, as it met on the first day of the week, was to collect their gifts for the poor. This is Paul's only instruction to all of the churches in Galatia as well. The only instruction given to the churches to gather for worship is on the first day of the week. John's vision of the churches of Asia. The book opens as they experience Christ in their midst on the Lord's day. Revelation 1, 9. The early church fully expected to Christ would appear in their gatherings on the Lord's Day as he did after his resurrection. They believed that Christ would return on the first day of the week as they assembled in worship. We are gathered in worship on the Lord's Day, and Christ is with us. He is gathering with his people, giving us his grace through his word and sacrament, and then hearing our praises and prayers to him. All of the apostles give a united testimony. It was changed to the first day of the week. Ignatius, immediate friend of the apostles who was martyred in Rome 15 years after the death of John, who was the last living apostle, only 15 years, wrote that the practice of the whole church was to worship on the first day. He called the Lord's Day the queen and chief of all the days of the week. From his writings on, the phrase the Lord's Day is used for the first day of the week. He's joined by the early church fathers, Bishop of Antioch, Justin Martyr, Barnabas, Arrhenius, Bardasian, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Peter of Alexandria, Eusebius, Dionysus, the Bishop of Corinth, Eusebius, Irenaeus, the Bishop of Lyons, Clement of Alexandria, all confirmed that the apostles' teaching was to gather the church on the first day of the week. That's huge. Philip Schaeff writes, there's an unbroken and unexceptional chain of testimonies that the first day of the week was observed as the Christian's day of worship and rest. Nothing short of apostolic precedence can account for the universal religious observance of the Lord's Day in the churches of the second century. There is no dissenting voice. The Old Testament Sabbath day, which had been given and patterned after God created the first creation, was moved to the first day of the new creation, at the resurrection of Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's the apostles' uniform witness. Why? There's another reason. And all these three reasons, the resurrection of Christ and Pentecost and the apostles' testimony, are all pointing us to the fourth reason. Why was the Sabbath moved to the first day of the new creation? It was moved to the first day because Christ's resurrection had begun the eternal age of the new creation, broken into this world. It was changed intentionally to the first day because Christ's resurrection began the age of eternal rest and glory for his people. His resurrection is the first fruits for all believers. This means that we in Christ do not look primarily as our example and pattern for Sabbath-keeping back to Mount Sinai and Moses in the Old Testament. We look primarily forward to Mount Zion 
and the accomplished work of Jesus Christ in glory. When we keep the Lord's Day, we're declaring, yes, what I have now in Jesus Christ is great, but the best is yet to be. That's the argument of Hebrews 4. Let's turn there together. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 8 and 9, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a parallel being set up here. Um, and if, we just, if you take the 10,000 foot view and just look at it, it, it's a beautiful comparison. Old Testament Joshua was the one who actually led the conquest of Canaan. He was the deliverer to take Moses' place, completed Moses' mission because Moses could not enter for unbelief. But Joshua did conquer Canaan, and he brought rest to God's people. He brought them into the land of rest. Deuteronomy 12, 9, the land is referred to their resting place. You will settle in the land, and the Lord your God will give you rest. None of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. Joshua 21, 45. Old Testament Joshua did give Israel rest, comma, but there's more to come because Joshua's rest, as wonderful as it was, was only a type and picture that God would give more. Joshua's rest, as wonderful as it was, it wasn't completely able to remove all the Canaanites, and David's hundreds of years later is still fighting them, the Philistines, and even had to capture Zion, the city of David. And more than that, Joshua, in conquering all of the enemies of Canaan and giving rest to Israel, wasn't able to really deal with the spiritual enemies, remove the spiritual heart and rebellion in, in Israel. And they even took on some of the sins of the Canaanites, and even worse, until God had to send them into captivity. So as great as Joshua's role was as Savior in giving rest, it was limited, it was outward, it was a type of a shadow of more to come. That's the argument. Well, who's, who's greater than Joshua? <laughs> who's given greater rest than Joshua could? Well, the New Testament Joshua. Who's the New Testament Joshua? Jesus. Jesus has given his church rest. You see it in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. Jesus is greater than Moses who led us out of bondage to Egypt. Jesus has led us out of bondage to Satan's kingdom. Jesus is greater than Joshua, who just led into a land of rest. Jesus leads us into the rest of the gospel. We now have rest in Christ. We now, who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross, you know the blessings of the Holy Spirit, you know the forgiveness of sins, you know a peace with God, being reconciled to God through Christ. You've come to Mount Zion, just as real as Old Testament Israel came to Mount Sinai. Comma. But there's more rest to come. As wonderful as that is, that isn't the end of it. You see it in verses 8 and 9. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When God's rest is referred to here in the book of Hebrews, it's, it's, it's future. It hasn't come yet. It's in eternity. It's the new heavens and the new earth. Hebrews 
9 and verse 10. God's rest still stands ahead of the church today in the same way that Canaan stood ahead of Israel in the wilderness. We're collectively on our way to the promised land, God's eternal rest. We still seek a city, Hebrews 13, 14. Christ has triumphed. He's already been crowned, but we don't see yet things, all things made subject to him. It's only at death and heaven do we rest from our labors. God's rest is still future. Oh, we've entered it. Oh, we've tasted it. But there's more. There's so much more. And that's the argument of verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his, which is referring back to verse 4. God rested on the seventh day from all his works, the weekly Sabbath. Verse 10 in the ESV is is fine of, of translation. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's a Greek word that's only used here in the New Testament, sabbatismos. And it means it's the Greek word that's used in the Old Testament, translating the Old Testament into Greek, Sabbath observance, Sabbath keeping. So it's more than just a reference to the day itself. It's to the keeping of the the Sabbath. Do you see what the argument is? To all those who have already had a taste of rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've entered into the gospel, you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can still see Canaan's ahead of you. You're going to keep the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath day, as a sign that you believe there's more to come. You haven't entered into God's eternal rest yet. And so the sign, the temporary sign of the Sabbath day continues. We're keeping it, anticipating, looking forward to God's final rest. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, to keep the Sabbath day now is to begin to keep the everlasting Sabbath. Michael Horton, we jealously guard the Lord's day because it announces to us and to the world We're made for more. There's something greater than we can imagine up ahead. When we keep the weekly Sabbath and we set aside our work and labor of the other six days, all that work that's under the curse and the vanity, we're reminding ourselves and we're declaring we believe this this world under the curse is not all there is. It's not ultimate reality. We're not grasping at materialism, as we heard in the sermon this morning. We're not coveting the stuff of this world. The work of this world of the six days under vanity and curse is not an eternal reality. There's another world coming. And we look forward to that new heavens and the new earth when that curse is going to be lifted. That's what you're celebrating on every Sabbath. And you're celebrating the larger picture of the struggle with sin. We're now in this age of spiritual warfare. We're striving to enter that rest. We're striving with all the struggles of unbelief and discouragement. And it's not going to be forever. Maybe you came to this day, the Lord's Day, and you've been very discouraged this week at your struggles with sin. The Sabbath is reminding you. 
Lift up your eyes to the horizon. You don't have long to go. You're almost home. You're almost done with this struggle. Don't give up now. Don't grow weary. By faith, you've already entered, believer, into true rest, into Christ. Come on. And the best is yet to be. So we continue to keep the Sabbath, looking forward to God's final eternal rest. Maurice Roberts tells us that one of the questions that was put to the early Christian martyrs before they were put to death was Dominicum Servasti, translated, do you keep the Lord's day? The martyrs went to their deaths with the courage given by the Holy Spirit not to deny the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they were boldly proclaiming, yes, I keep the Lord's day. You and I are asked that same question, and we're not going to our deaths. We have every reason to keep the Lord's day. Dominican, Servasti. Do you keep the Lord's day? God has appointed the day, one day in seven, for our greatest needs in his worship. And God has changed the day from the last to the first to promise us that the best is yet to be. Shall we pray? Our Father, we do grow weary. We grow weary of living in Sodom, as Lot did. We grow weary of our own sin and the struggle with the evil one. Some weeks we feel like we've taken a step forward and two steps back. Thank you for the Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day is to remind us we're one week closer. Thank you for every time we celebrate the sacrament. We're another month closer to the, our final rest. Oh, our Father, we pray for the coming of Jesus Christ in glory when he will establish the new heavens and the new earth and bring his children, his church, into their final rest. Our Father, thank you for this wonderful gift of the Sabbath. Forgive us for the many ways which we've not treated it as such a joy and such a gift, such a promise, such an assurance that there's more to come. We ask your blessing upon the word as it's been preached, and now the word as it's witnessed in the sacrament, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.